Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, I speak with Derek Muller about his new film, Vitamania. But first up, here's the news about frozen worms and anti-cancer pills. Waking worms. Nematode worms frozen in the Arctic permafrost for over 40,000 years in Siberia have woken up in Moscow Petri dishes. They are now the world's oldest living animals. This kind of frozen sleep is called cryobiosis. Previously, the longest times that worms have been revived after cryobiosis was a mere 39 years in a herbarium. The research was carried out by the Institute of Physico-Chemical and Biological Problems of Soil Science, Moscow State University, Pertsov White Sea Biological Station, part of Moscow State University, and the Higher School of Economics in Moscow, in collaboration with the Department of Geosciences at Princeton University. Out of more than 300 samples of permafrost deposits at different ages and locations, buried soils and fossil rodent burrows, two samples were shown to contain nematodes that were still alive. One set of nematodes was found in the material of a buried ground squirrel burrow that was discovered in the permafrost wall of the Dunvenyar outcrop in the lower reaches of the Kolyma River. The burrow was 30 metres underground. Other burrows in this area had previously been radiocarbon dated to 32,000 years old. The Kolymar River is close to the site of the Pleistocene Park, which is seeking to recreate the Arctic habitat of the extinct woolly mammoth. The other set of nematode soil worms was found in a 3 metre deep core sample close to the Alizea River. The plants in the core sample were dated to 42,000 years old with radiocarbon dating. Researchers at the Institute of Physico-Chemical and Biological Problems of Soil Science in Moscow stored the samples at minus 20 degrees Celsius. To see if any life would revive from being frozen, they separated the soil into samples in petri dishes with a bacterial growth media and warmed them to plus 20 degrees Celsius. When the worms started to wriggle, they added E. coli bacteria to the dishes for the worms to eat. The worms did eat the bacteria. They identified the worms both by looking at them through microscopes and by genes obtained by polymerase chain reaction, PCR, matched to the GenBank database of genes. The worms from the 30,000-year-old ground squirrel burrow were narrowed to the species Panagrolamus detritophagus fuchs. While the worms from the 42,000-year-old sample near the Alizea River belong to the Plectus parvus bastion. Only female worms were found for both species, 
which isn't that odd because female nematodes can also reproduce without males. Parthenogenesis. Both species of worm are found in soil and freshwater regions on every continent, and they're known to survive drying and freezing. The researchers hope that studying the way these worms survived frozen sleep for tens of thousands of years will contribute to cryomedicine, cryobiology, and astrobiology. Let's hope that no infectious microbes are also able to survive for 40,000 years of frozen sleep beneath the Siberian permafrost. The paper was titled Viable Nematodes from Late Pleistocene Permafrost of the Kolyma River Lowland and was published in the journal Doklady Biological Sciences. Crowdfunded Rejuvenation? The Queensland University of Technology's Cancer Aging Research Program, CARP, will be crowdfunding $5 million to pay for next year's Phase 1 clinical trials of their age reversal drug. The team want the intellectual property to stay in Australia to create jobs and grow the Australian economy, which won't happen if they sell the rights to a multinational drug company. The team discovered the active ingredient of the drug while studying what keeps extremophile archaea microbes thriving in the harsh conditions of the boiling sulfuric acid pools of undersea volcanoes. They found the protein that preserved and repaired the microbe's DNA was single-strand binding protein, SSB1. When they looked in humans, they found that we carry the same protein in every cell of our body. Human single-strand binding protein, HSSB1. As humans age, we have less HSSB1 in our cells, and so we gradually lose parts of our genetic code as our DNA is damaged but no longer properly repaired. This is a pathway for cancer. The team have developed a drug that restores the levels in cells of human single-strand binding protein to a youthful level, so that proper DNA repair can take place again, as it did when people were young. As we age and the DNA gets damaged, we lose our ability to maintain our immune systems, to eliminate waste from our cells and maintain our body weight. We also develop chronic inflammation, which contributes to many of the diseases of ageing. The team believe that the drug will protect people who are at high risk of getting cancer and delay the onset of many of the diseases of ageing, including Alzheimer's disease, type 2 diabetes and arthritis, as well as cancer. Ageing is the biggest risk factor for cancer. The team foresee that instead of your final 15 to 20 years of life being full of debilitating disease that gets worse, with their drug, you may only suffer five years of debilitation in old age, while living just as long. When they examined cancer cells for HSSB1, they found that there was much more of it than usual. When they blocked the production of the protein, the cancer cells died. So you need more of it to prevent cancer, but to block the protein when cancer is already developed. Drug development has reached the point that clinical trials are needed to prove the drug is safe, to show that it works in humans, and to show the appropriate dose. These trials will cost $5 million. Traditionally, Australian researchers have taken money for trials from multinational pharmaceutical companies who gain the intellectual property rights, and then employ people to produce the drugs outside Australia. The Cancer Ageing Research Program team want to create jobs in Australia instead 
so they're organising to crowdfund the $5 million for clinical trials. Queensland University of Technology has raised over a million dollars from direct online donations, and they have a donate page on the carp.org.au website. The researchers have also teamed up in a fundraising venture with a champion coffee roaster in Byron Bay to develop a range of fair trade, ethically sourced coffee, tea and drinking chocolate. You can buy the fundraising coffee and chocolate from carcoffee.com.au. They plan to raise the rest on a big crowdfunding site later this year. I'll put all the links and embed the videos in this episode's web show notes. The paper HSSB1 associates with and promotes stability of the BLM helicase was published in the journal BMC Molecular Biology, and the paper HSSB1 phosphorylation is dynamically regulated by DNA PK and PPP family protein phosphatases was published in the journal DNA Repair. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Do you take vitamin pills? Derek Muller is the creator of Veritasium, a YouTube channel with over a million subscribers and presenter of the new documentary movie Vitamania. He's a science filmmaker with a PhD in the science of how to make effective science films. I spoke to Derek by Skype and began by asking him, what is Vitamania about? Well, it's a big science and history uh, documentary about vitamins. So it starts at the beginning, the invention of the word vitamin, the, the discovery that there are these nutrients in our food without which we get sick and we can die. And it progresses through various stories of people's lives to, to understand what should we be doing with vitamins right now? Should we be taking them in pills? And, you know, what is the future uh, for, for the supplement industry? And will you be looking at wider supplements like amino acids and things like that? Thankfully, we limited the scope of this doco to vitamins, because if we had gone broader, it would have been uh, an unwieldy beast. Uh, vitamins are a big enough topic in and of themselves. They are pretty huge. So there used to be a time when we were all told to have vitamin C and, you know, multivitamins and all the rest of it. And then more recently, we were told it was all rubbish that would just color our pee. Obviously, it's a bit more complex than that. It is more complex, but that really is the two camps that I find people in when uh, when I tell them I'm making a doco about vitamins. It's oh, they're all rubbish, or you know, I take a I take a bunch of them. So yeah, the, the reality is somewhere in the middle. That for people with deficiencies, vitamins are really miraculous substances, and for people who who uh, already have plenty, then you know, eating extra or taking a pill, you know, is not going to enhance their their health any further. So, yeah, it really is one of those things where you have to assess what someone's nutritional situation is in the first place. And people who think that, you know, having a multivitamin is going to make up for their bad diet are, uh, I think, sadly mistaken. You know, you, you got to get, get the right foods in your diet. There's so much more benefit there than just the getting the right molecules into your body. 
Do you have any history with this yourself? You know, as a kid, I was raised on vitamins and definitely vitamin C when I had a cold. My mom still recommends that. And I just have to say, mom, look, uh, you got to watch this documentary I made because vitamin C really is not the silver bullet for curing colds that a lot of people think it is. You know, maybe in combination with zinc, you might shorten a cold by half a day, but it, it's nothing dramatic. It's not the cure-all that, that uh, they think it is. And there's people now with vitamin D deficiency because they're not getting enough sun. Yeah, sort of hard to believe in Australia, but but it happens, you know, if you stay out of the sun during the, the major daylight hours, it is possible to get deficient in vitamin D. So, you know, it's more understandable in places I went, like northern Norway, where, you know, they don't see the sun for months at a time. Then I can completely understand that either you need to eat the oily fish or you need to take a supplement. But uh, in Australia, you know, incidental sun exposure, I would normally think would be enough. But again, there are exceptions, so it, it really depends on everyone's unique circumstance. And you run several very successful YouTube channels. The first one's Veritasium that I know about, and you've got a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. more than one Veritasium channel. Yes, yeah, the two Veritasium channel was sort of started as a place to have more informal conversation and just to make me feel less less bad about, uh, I don't know, casual conversation with the audience because Veritasium, the, the main channel, became sort of a... <laughs> a thing that I didn't want to mess with. Well, that's one of those things. So you did your PhD in so- making science education films, and now you're making science education films. You must be one of the few filmmakers who's that qualified. Yeah, well, I think it's funny, because everything looks like a straight line now to, to where I am, but that I think that's hindsight bias. You know, I was always sort of pursuing multiple interests and making films and science were were chief among them. So when I did that PhD, I was trying to meld those passions. And that's it was sort of funny that, that I was able to do that at the University of Sydney in, in physics education. I was able to sort of make my own thesis project, which was, you know, how are you going to teach someone effectively uh, science through through the medium of video? It was funny when I started that, you know, everyone thought that the topic was a little bit passe because educational videos had, of course, you know, they've been around for, for decades. So people had studied them in the 1960s and people were wondering, why are you studying it now? I mean, mainly it was because that was my interest. But remarkably, they hadn't really answered some of the main questions back then. And now learning from video is becoming, you know, increasingly important as we can get video streaming online and everyone's getting video into their classrooms. And so, you know, the question was actually very timely, but I think just lucky for me. And then that, that PhD has definitely fed into what I do and everything from the, the YouTube channel to the, the film, Vitamania. And one of the things you found is you've got to engage the audience's brain so that they're thinking more while they watch your content. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, people can engage with different things to varying degrees. You know, when you read a book, you're typically a little bit more engaged just because you have to make the active effort to read the words. So so print is actually a really interesting example. When you watch TV, you can engage on sort of a lower level. And sometimes that can give you the illusion of learning something where when tested on it afterwards, you reveal that you didn't actually engage that much or you didn't retain that much from the material that was presented. So something I saw in the PhD was that you have to get people to invest just a bit more mental effort if they're actually going to learn something from the video. And often I find a good way to do that is by engaging with people's prior conceptions or misconceptions. So often when I start, I want to think, 
what are people watching this thinking? And I want to start there as opposed to starting with some assumption of, you know, what I think they know or, or what they should know. I, I, I really want to know what is their baseline for, for this topic and start there. I think that's essential. And so you often have conversations with people where you get them to explain it rather than you. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a sure way to find out what people are thinking is by actually asking them on the street. So that was an interesting way that, that sort of Veritasium got its start. And often I would find people were thinking about things in a totally different way than I would ever have imagined. For example, in one of my videos, I found that people had this conception that sort of food was disappearing inside you, that, that matter was in a sense being converted into energy. And I was kind of flabbergasted because as a scientist, you know, it's obvious that, you know, there's a conservation of, of mass, of atoms, of, you know, you don't just get rid of stuff or stuff doesn't just disappear except maybe in nuclear reactors or in the sun or, you know. But here were people on the street telling me that to generate ATP, you had to, you know, get rid of some mass, serious mass. So that was a surprise. And from learning that, I could then, I think, explain that topic in a way that was more understandable to, to a broader number of people. And I noticed you were also asking people what they thought would happen in an experiment rather than just showing it to them. Absolutely. Yeah, if you just show someone an experiment, there's scientific research to back up that they will learn about as much as if they never saw the experiment in the first place. So really keying people in to make that prediction to, again, it's, it's raising that level of engagement so that they have a vested interest in what's going to happen. And that is where you can actually get some learning to happen. So super important to, to ask for predictions before you do any sort of experiment. And you've been super successful on your YouTube channels. And you're now making not just Vitamania, this new movie documentary that will be shown on SBS, but you've been making lots of films. Yeah. So I've been working on a Netflix show in the US Bill Nye Saves the World, where I've been a correspondent. I've also obviously made the uranium documentary, which was a, a few years ago now, all about radioactivity, radiation. Tweaking the dragon's tail? Yeah, twisting the dragon's twisting. tail. Yes, yeah. So that was comes from a quote where, you know, they were they were talking about tickling the dragon's tail with these little experiments they were doing, essentially very close to creating a nuclear reaction, an uncontrolled nuclear reaction in the lab. Um, so it was a, a dicey proposition because that is a, a very explosive element, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah. So no, that was a fascinating series to make and, and Vitamini has been great as well. And I did a bit on Catalyst for a while. So it's interesting the way that, you know, starting with the YouTube channel, cause it really did come first. I've been able to branch out into all, the, all these different areas of media and, uh, uh it's really been a, a great ride. Didn't you start on Catalyst with a slinky being dropped in slow motion? Well, that was one of the YouTube videos. So it was, it, it came from a YouTube video where I dropped a slinky in slow-mo and Catalyst looked at some of my greatest hits from online and said, well, let's recreate that for the ABC audience. Yes. And I said, sure, why not? So yeah, that was, that was sort of the genesis of it. But even earlier than that, I had shown some of the executive producers at, at Catalyst sort of what I was doing on YouTube and I guess impressed them enough that they brought me in to start doing things like voiceovers and just sort of hanging out with a team. And so I was slowly built up uh, as a reporter that way. But it, but it was great that they gave me that shot, you know, when I demonstrated my, my interest in doing it and I guess showed a little bit of aptitude for making online video. And that's how I got my start. And 
your documentary film Vitamania. So you're going to be doing some Q&As? That's right, yeah. So we're doing screenings of the film starting July 30th in Perth and then August 2nd in Sydney, August 3rd in Melbourne. And then, of course, it'll be on TV on SBS on the 12th at 8.30 p.m. And if they miss it on the 12th, it'll be on SBS On Demand? That's it. That's exactly it. And will your Q&A be filmed? That is a great question. don't know, and I'm not sure if we'd film in all three cities or maybe just one of them. And so, yeah, that says yet to be determined. But if people have real big questions about this, they can always, you know, post a, a comment on a YouTube video or tweet at me. You know, I'm available. So if there are questions, let me know. All right. And so how long did it take you to make this? To make Vitamania start to finish took about three years, and that was not one solid slog the whole time, but it, but it was sort of intermittent during that period. So when we started, I had no kids, and, and now I have two. So it, it's definitely, it spanned a big transformation in, uh, in my life. And it's also, you know, having kids has now made me think more carefully about, about vitamins and supplements and how do I raise my kids the, in, in the best possible way, what sort of nutritional needs do they have. So yeah, the documentary took on extra significance uh, as a result of the events happening in my life as well. Did it change your mind about anything that you'd thought about vitamins before? You know, before you have kids, you think something like, well, if they're not eating the food that I want them to eat, I just won't give them anything else and and, uh, they'll they'll have to eat it. (laughs) But once you actually have kids, you realize like, oh, you know, you got to find a way. They're so picky, but they still need to eat. You know, you got to find a way to get the right nutrition into them. And so for, for us, it's been sort of trying to make really healthy smoothies that still taste good and try to get some greens into my toddler because he's not going to eat anything that looks like a leaf. So, um, yeah. And if people want to look up your extensive presence online, where should they look? Yeah, the word veritasium will, will get you a long way. So it's Latin veritas with I-U-M on the end. And that'll find me everywhere from YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Etc. And is there a website for Vitamania? Or yeah, VitamaniaTheMovie.com. Oh, VitamaniaTheMovie.com. Indeed. Yep. And I guess when it comes on SBS, they'll just have to search on on demand. That's right. Yeah, search for Vitamania. Terrific. Do you know what your next project is coming up? I have some inklings, but I'm not going to divulge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lo- lots more coming down the pipe. Let's just say that. I guess the big message from Vitamania is, you know, instead of asking the question, which sort of pills should I be taking, you should just be thinking about what, what food you're eating. And that's, that's the right way to approach it. Take your vitamins, take them in food. Right. A wide variety of food. That's right. <laughs> well, Derek Muller, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You can watch Derek Muller's Vitamania on SBS in a few weeks and SBS On Demand after that. You can find news about the film on vitamaniathemovie.com. Go to youtube.com slash c slash veritasium, V-E-R-I-T-A-S-I-U-M, to watch Derek's videos. John, what's happening to us? I think we both know, Mary. It's just that we seem to be drifting apart. I'm sorry, Mary. I've tried. Oh, I don't blame you, John. It's just that... It's not your fault either, of course. It's just that that we don't have... Exactly. 
There's this awful gap in our lives just because we don't have... Oh, but why talk about it? It's just that... Oh, I keep hoping someone can find a way to... Don't be a fool, Mary. You know that's impossible. Oh, I know. It's just that... Dad, it's ironic. With all our technology and industrial know-how, we still don't have the one thing that could give us a better way of life. They say it can't be done. That it's just an impossible dream. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the website. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio and support the show. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Sound check and fact checking by Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, and 7LTN City Park Radio in Launceston, Tasmania. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos from this week's show. If you enjoyed this show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.